Wish I didn't have to know what I thought I needed to know. Some secrets are best. Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu Tang Clan. And today I have my good friend Andrew Ramondi back on the podcast as we talk about uh, the NBA, the NBA bubble. Uh, I had Andrew probably a little bit more than a month ago when they first announced uh, the plan for the bubble and that them starting restarting play in Orlando. And now players are actually within the bubble. So I just wanted to get Andrew's reactions on what ended up what's happening in the bubble. And we'll talk about a couple of other different interesting, um, I guess, operational type of things that have been happening uh during the bubble period so andrew welcome on to the pod yeah man thanks for having me um i was thinking uh, i always come in with some sort of philosophical thought up top um or i feel like i have in these distant post-covid podcasts and i just had this idea of so all the podcasts we've done together since march march 4th 20, March 14th, 2020, we talk about the NCAA tournament getting canceled, the NBA getting shut down, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of like the first COVID's happening, you know, what's going on phase. And then our next one together is April 9th, 2020, Quarantine Life and Tiger King, which seems so fucking distant now. So that's kind of like the, I feel like that's like almost like the novelty phase of, of like coronavirus, like pandemic, you know what I mean? Like we were just, right, right. and then we do last dance a couple in on May 19th. So, and then we do the NBA's back June 12th. And obviously, I mean, we were talking about George Floyd and all the, all the protests that are, ha- were happening at that time and still are happening in many cities. And then today we're, you know, March, April, May, June, July, almost four months later, talking about the NBA coming back, which which I think the whole reason I, I kind of wanted to lay that down, I thought it was interesting and funny, but it also feel like, um, I don't know, I don't know how you've been feeling. I kind of wanted to mention, like, how I've been reaching a point where, I mean, and I have mixed feelings about this because I wish I didn't have to feel guilty about being happy about sports coming back, but I, it, it does exist. But anyway, what I was winding up to say is like, it does feel like we're starting to reach a for better, or for worse, kind of like new normal phase of all of this. And it's, it's interesting and kind of um, momentous. I think that we're going to get back to kind of talking about this stuff in a, in a more traditional, albeit kind of obviously weird way. Yeah, and I feel like we're in this kind, this space of, it's it's just it. What I'm thinking back to is some of the conversations that I've had with various people off the podcast and on this podcast, um, where I've had uh, conversations about the Premier League and that's back. Basically, worldwide, like soccer worldwide, is back in full force. Like they're playing games out in Europe for mm-hmm. what seems like a month now. Yeah. Um, and how that's like a huge contrast to what's happening um, in the States with the NBA. And then now 
whether or not college football comes back and the NFL and all these different uh, implications on whether uh, and the effect on American sports and what that's had. And it's kind of hard to parse out um, the response from, you know, America and how we've dealt with this disease and COVID in comparison to how it's been dealt worldwide and how that's affected our sports consumption um, up to, up to this point. And it, and I think that's one of the fascinating things to me as we're getting closer and closer to re- to the restart of uh, the NBA and just on a general level, whether or not this, this plan has kind of gone according to what Adam Silver and, you know, the Players Association had envisioned a month ago when they decided to restart. Well, it's funny. I'm interested to get your opinion on that because I actually do think we have slightly differing, not slightly differing opinions, but um, I think I, I am interested to talk about the that get into kind of the bubble and how we think the bubble is going and stuff like that. And as, as a corollary to what you were saying about, I wasn't even trying when I was talking about this to allude to like the NFL or college football. I mean, personally, I would, if I were a betting man, I'd say college football doesn't happen. The NFL does, but what do I know? But we're going to have this interesting parallel of thing you didn't mention in that monologue, in that little spiel is that the MLB is starting up this week as well. And it'll be interesting to see how the MLB pans out, which is going to happen in a more traditional format with kind of players doing, uh, although at a reduced pace, uh, a reduced amount, a, a certain modicum of travel and people staying in their home markets and stuff like that, as opposed to the NBA, which is doing this, this more, you know, kind of virologist, uh, epidemiologist approved bubble, uh, bubble system. And like you said, you know, part of the reason we're talking about this in, in this way and why it kind of has the, as I kind of alluded to earlier, this weird, pallor of kind of should this all be happening yes that has to do with our this country's frankly fucked up response to this whole thing um but uh you know i i found myself i found myself just as as to show that i'm not immune to the to the wants of of consumption uh i found myself i think it's partially knowing like the nba is coming back and stuff like that um in the last month or so i found myself or the last couple weeks kind of jonesing to watch sports a lot more. I was keeping myself preoccupied with other stuff, you know, movies. And I, I'd been getting into <laughs> online poker, which I don't think is a necessarily the most healthy um, thing to do just at, at night for, in my free time. But I've been, wa- I've I watched the premier league the last couple days. I was, I watched both games today on Sunday, like, ordered a pizza like I was like I find found myself kind of want and I wonder if it is part of this kind of like new normal-esque feeling where it's like all right I want to do the things that I you know not in like a I want to go back completely to the way I normally live but a way of going like all right it's time to go back to some of those old comforts again so I don't know yeah and I mean 
I think one of the things like kind of from that and in terms of like pointing out the the philosophical differences between the MLB and the NBA, which I find fascinating, are is this kind of like centralized model that the NBA has kind of has taken up and has said it's better to just kind to house everyone in this situ in this place and no one can get in, no one can get out. There's a lot of I would say funny comments like on like Instagram and Twitter about like whether or not guys are trying to sneak girls into the, you know, like into the bubble and things like that. Like funny, like anecdotes like Mm -hmm. that. Um, But just from like a, a general level of how serious the NBA is kind of taking this is that, um, this idea of like how long these guys are getting quarantined once they, once they have, you know, arrived. And, um, you know, there's big news this week when Zion Williamson ended up leaving the bubble um, due to family emergency and what the protocol is when he comes back and what the protocol is when, you know, eventually other players decide to leave the bubble um, because of an emergency or because of a family situation coming up, whether it be like a pregnancy of their wife and watching and seeing their child's born, things like that, um, and how that ultimately plays out. And there's a there's like a combination of factors of whether or not they get tested on the daily away from the bubble, and that would mm-hmm. maybe expedite that process of them yeah. getting quarantined less. And if they don't get, if they don't get tested every single day, then that can lengthen the process. But what what's your kind of take on how the NBA is generally going through this protocol of um, quarantining their guys? Is it like, do you think it's more of just like an educated guess? Like, because not necessarily sure like how long they should be quarantining for it seems like some of the numbers uh that they're throwing out there are fairly arbitrary in my in my thinking yeah um well can i back up a couple ticks and yeah, I'll, yeah go I'll ahead get to that because i i, I just want to this has been kind of rattling around in my mind because i'll talk about that but i also just want to I think pretty broadly, like I was thinking back to the last conversation we had when we were talking about the the bubble broadly and how effective it would be and and stuff like that. Like I remember saying, and I I said to some of my friends and I said on the podcast that like, I thought the NBA had like a 50-50 chance of finishing the season, basically. Mm -hmm. I think after seeing the bubble in action for like three weeks or so, like, honestly, I would put that number much higher now. I'd probably put it around, yeah. like, 75 to 80%. Like, and that's probably being conservative. Like, I remember when we were talking about – and, like, once again, we can get back to whether these procedures are arbitrary or not in a second. But I remember us talking about this kind of – talking about things from uh, from kind of a perspective of, like, infection within the bubble being a possibility, Right. I remember us talking a lot about that. And we did talk about, I, we did definitely talk about players getting infected in their home markets. And I remember specifically saying, I think we did that podcast in early June. I remember yep. saying like, 
what is it going to be like in the rest of the country by August or whatever. And, you know, it is this weird, it's kind of weird to have this conversation in New Jersey because frankly, for, you know, not to big up ourselves, the COVID situation is a lot better in New Jersey than it is in, in the rest of the country. Although I don't talk to that many people throughout the country. I have no idea it, what life is like there as compared to here, but setting all that aside, I think we, we, we've we seen, like it's been, th- uh, Chris Haynes tweeted today, NBA players have been in the bubble for almost three weeks, I think, and we haven't had any infections of, of players within the bubble. That's a huge win. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, players aren't playing yet, but I think they're allowed to, they're at a point where they're, like, allowed to interact with each other and, and stuff of that nature, and obviously, the teams themselves are, are practicing every day. So, I mean, the all indications so far indicate that the bubble works and if or has worked. And if, you know, these players are, you know, they took these PCR tests and came in negative, then all the NBA staff and everyone associated with the league came in negative. Your only sources for infection are, one, uh, a player leaving and coming back in. Um, and there's been a lot of talk of, how easy is it to come into and leave the bubble? I would, I would point people. You mentioned the thing about girls coming in and stuff like that. Exactly. I, exactly, I would, yeah. I would point to this, uh, the interview between Zach Lowe and Malika Andrews, which I found very fascinating. And in that she pretty much gives a picture of, of a place that's very hard to leave and come back from undetected. Um, and and I bought. I mean, maybe she's a, just a naive media member, but I found it pretty um, a pretty compelling portrait. Um, so either that or staff, or you know, Disney staff. Um, and even so, it seems you know I I don't know what protections they have in place, and I don't want to get too into the boring minutia of like how coronavirus spreads on surfaces versus in the air and wearing masks and stuff like that. But um, the, the likelihood to me of a, of a huge flare up um, seems pretty low to me at, at this point. So without getting too boring and who knows, maybe in the MLB, that's unlikely. Also, um, I would say it, it's probably more likely in the MLB or at the very least, it's more likely that like you're going to see players DNP coronavirus in the MLB a lot more than you are going to in the NBA. Now we're going to talk about all the players who dropped out and all the players who got sick. Um, this has been one of my trademarked really, really long monologues. Uh, <laughs> just an, a point to tack on at the end. So my overall point is, I and I didn't really answer your question, so you can maybe hit hit the ball back at me or elaborate, and I can I can go back to it. But um, the the point I, I'm trying to make overall is I think all indications maybe the measures are somewhat draconian or somewhat arbitrary, but it it seems like it's pretty much worked and um, contrasted with the amount of players who had it in their home markets, um, it wasn't like. I don't think it was like to some people it seemed really, really high. I didn't personally think it was. I think all in all, probably 8% of the league or so tested positive. 
Um, I'm not particularly surprised by that for, for a number of reasons, but I think that number compared with the number of post-bubble infections, which has been zero, uh, shows the viability of, of the whole thing in and of itself, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a really good point to make, that ju- that general point of no one within the bubble since they've gotten there has become sick, and that I think shows the, I would say, the ironclad tightness of the security that's around the bubble working mm-hmm. in its favor and showing that, and I think it's, you know, I'm sure for from an epidemiologist standpoint, it's going to be a really fascinating experiment for a lot of these health professionals to look at and see, like, hey, if we can keep the virus out and and there's not going to be many problems, but look at all the protocols the NBA has taken into account to get to that place. And I yeah. think that, and I think it, it's going to be interesting and maybe it points, helps point um, epidemiologists in terms of using the NBA as an example for broader society as a whole, um, in in different uh, regards and different situations, which I would find pretty fascinating. But one of the things that I think through that huge monologue that you're saying um, that I found fairly fascinating in terms of just like, just in general, like the scale of the operation that's been mm-hmm. happening, I, I found that really fascinating. Um, and you know, I'm going to give a quick shout out to a couple, couple YouTube like series that I've been watching, like Matisse Thibel on the 76ers has, has this like YouTube channel that he's just started up where he's basically creating these daily vlogs of, of him within the bubble. And I find those really fascinating because it gives us a lot of context as to what, um, a lot of these reporters are tweeting, um, inside their hotel rooms and it gives us the the pictures as to like how these guys are getting checked in like um how they're getting checked every single day what types of food they had like i think troy daniels was the first one to kind of like (laughs) like take tweet a picture of like his meal and you know that that got some like hot buzz for a little bit for for a night um uh in nba twitter like and and like Matisse Thibel, I don't know if you saw JaVale McGee's like vlogs for the LA Lakers, but he's been doing similar things too. Um, and I, I think it, it's really interesting kind of seeing the day-to-day life within the bubble um, and that aspect of how these players are being treated and like the types of precautions that they're taking um, with these guys in place. And, and my my interest is probably not the interest of a lot of and like a lot of NBA fans, but just the the minutia of like how the hell did they get like all of this like on board and operational within like you know a month like a couple months running and like the amount of planning that it must have taken like it it's taken like a huge amount to be able to get this whole operation put together 
Um, so like everything right now has been going, I would say if Adam Silver had to like had a meter of like a happiness, happiness meter or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like uh, when you leave an airport bathroom and you can hit yep. one of the like four face, smiley faces or whatever. It's going to be, it's going to be like, a wry smile. Yes, exactly. It's the second, feet. not the yeah. full green smile, but like the light green grin. Definitely. It's like a, it's like one, it's just the plain, like, you know, this, the colon with the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, yes, yeah. you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, so I think he's fairly happy about what he, he's seen so far. Um, but I, I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of see what happens like once like Zion comes back or once like someone else comes back, like, yes, like let's say they are quarantined for a couple of days. Right. And yeah. then one of these guys ends up becoming positive. Mm-hmm. And then how fast does something like that spread if it's asymptomatic for let's say you know a couple days and it doesn't show up and then it appears with after he's after someone's been released from quarantine i'm curious to see like how fast like of a reaction they end up have having in terms of like what they do with that situation like yeah that is kind of the big unknown. I mean, you fight, you got back around to kind of asking me the same question. <laughs> right, right. speaks to my being bad as a podcaster. I wanted to, I will get to that, but I did want to, I thought you made two interesting points that I wanted to just kind of put, put my own little pin on without making it like political. But you mentioned two things. Um, one, the kind of like, epidemiologists being able to look at this as kind of a, a model society as it were kind of i thought right 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 exactly minus yeah. all of the how did they get this up and running i want i would 100 percent second i know you were saying like it's a nerdy thing but i would i think any nba even a casual nba fan the matisse Seibel blogs are just just a delight i i found i have to give you credit for point maybe i would have discovered them on my own but i have to give you credit for for pointing them out to me i just think they're great in like the i haven't watched a javel ones but i think seibel's a good kind of lens to view this all through because he's kind of young he's rank and file and he kind of has this like cinema verite style like it's very it's almost a little jarring because it kind of cuts around a lot but it is very just like here's what i literally do all day which i think is I guess that's what vlogging is, but I, I find it very interesting. Um, and there are all these things like, you know, they kind of have this central app through everything that everything runs through that they need to kind of log all their information uh, in during the day. A lot of other aspects of their health are being monitored besides um, besides testing and stuff like that. And, and it's kind of ironic. I think back to this tweet from uh, Jason Concepcion of The Ringer, very early before they even got to the bubble. And he made this point of like, the bubble is kind of an interesting situation. This is obviously a pithy comment, but it shows what would happen in the U S if people were highly valued in the coronavirus (laughs) response. You know what I mean? And a a lot of the things, um, a lot of the things 
the NBA is doing really is not that novel. Um, like, I mean, obviously the amount of resources and whatever being dumped into it is, but like, I'm pretty sure like countries like South Korea and like European countries have these kind of contact tracing nationalized or highly localized acts. You know what I mean? That's not like right, a right. super novel concept, even within, within uh, the, the current framework and stuff like that. So I just wanted to point that out. But um, I think you are right that kind of like, I think it's natural to dwell on, like, I think it's natural that your question is like, what will happen when it, when a player leaves the bubble and comes back? Obviously, Zion will do that. Uh, Montrezl Harrell has done that. And, you know, without speculating, it, it's kind of a horrible thing to say, but like, and without speculating on the nature of, of family emergencies, when your family or whatever has to live in the quote unquote normal world and stuff like that. Like it's kind of inevitable that especially as they're dispersed throughout the country where, where the coronavirus is under varying levels of control. It seems inevitable that people's family members will get sick and things will happen. You know what I mean? It's kind of Mm -hmm. a horrible, horrible thing to say, but the, the, the broader point I'm just trying to make is I'm sure other players will leave and come back at points and how they deal with that will be interesting. But I will say I'm a little maybe less skeptical, not skeptical, skeptical, but a little less curious than you are, because I think they will play it safe, at least at the beginning, even with someone like Zion Williamson. I think uh, Nate Duncan or someone mentioned this, but you did mention the kind of like the protocol being flexible, flexible rather for allowing daily testing away from the bubble, allowing you to have kind of a shorter um, a shorter quarantine period when you get back in. And uh, I think it was Nate Duncan who said, like, even if the NBA wasn't able, like, wasn't vested in making sure he could do that, ESPN executives, you know what I mean? You'd think one of them would be like, I'll fucking stay with him for <laughs> yeah yeah for where you know what Let's i mean protect like, this asset as yeah exactly they, yep. they want that dude playing so um and i understand how that could cut against it because you could argue that like they're more likely to kind of rush him back in whatever whatever way that means but um basically in my understanding of kind of how all this stuff works like the window between you getting, obviously you could be asymptomatic and stuff like that, but the window between you getting it and having it show up on a PCR test, I don't think it's pro- longer. I, I don't think it's like especially long. So I think the kind of five to seven day window they're prescribing, I, I would think the, like, obviously there is a chance, um, but I, I would think the window, especially because, player that could have happened when players came into the bubble right that's true I, that yeah. was a thing that was pointed out by some people i think they only had to stay in the room for like 48 hours if they had two pcr tests two negative pcr by the way to what yeah, yeah. why are the nasal yeah. or it's just a nasal swab test i i unfortunately listened to enough coronavirus podcasts where I occasionally use the shorthand, but that just means the nasal, the nasal swab test, the generic nasal swab test, but ostensibly a player could have gotten infected right before they came to the bubble and had a similar 
situation as the one you were describing happen, and it didn't. So obviously the sample size isn't big enough where you could say that that means the procedures are ironclad, but at least it's it's a good sign. You know what I mean? Uh, but there are also these other questions floating around in the air, like when players come back, they're going to be, do they need to kind of be recon? You know, could Zion Williamson, if he comes back before the start of games, can he really play in those first two anyway? You know, there's interesting questions to be sorted out uh, as to, to our players who were sick with the coronavirus just straight up good to go, or do they need to be monitored or limited in some way? Like, uh, will some of these players' respiratory uh, capabilities in the short and or long term, and it might depend from player to player, you know, will there be something there? Like, can Russell Westbrook, who was infected with uh, COVID and I don't think has come to the bubble yet. Like, is he just going to be good to go or is he going to miss some games? Like stuff like this will have to be sorted out and it's certainly not perfect, but I think that the thing I keep coming back to in all of this is like with a couple unfortunate exceptions, your favorite NBA basketball being one of them, like, it all seems like it's going to at the very least be workable to the, to the, to the extent that we're going to get something, a decent and legitimate seeming product. Yeah. And I think uh, it's, it's like this, it's like kind of balancing out a lot of different things, but on the one hand, I'm extremely excited that this thing seems like it's going to come to fruition and that the, like we're going to be able to actually see games and see what ends up happening. Um, and I think it'll actually make for really interesting, like, like Twitter type of stuff. Um, like whoever's breaking news, like being able to see like what ends up happening um, in terms of like, if someone gets sick and, and yeah. like the breaking of that type of news. And I mean, there's so, there's so many things that have happened since the last time we've talked now that I'm like going through all the Twitter he- headlines in my head and like all the tweets that uh, we've talked like, and how those tweets have intersected with like um, with politics and how everything's just so, meshed together it's really yeah we're probably not even going to talk about Woj tweeting fuck you at a u.s senator on this podcast that's like like, we probably will not discuss that that's just (laughs) that's just like a passing comment because of how much stuff is happening and like like even like the like the the approved messages that are that can be worn um on jerseys and things like that that's like not to belittle the movement or anything like that, but that's almost like secondary to some of the things that we've talked about right now in terms of how much things have happened and moved along throughout this process um, in quarantine and with the restart and everything like that. Um, What, like, in terms of, like, where these guys are tra- like in terms of like transitioning from talking about some of this stuff on an operational like big level high level yeah. type of picture to like maybe some of the more granular level things of 
like how these teams are going to be playing on the court. And we're recording this on a Sunday night. Today's July 19th, but games are supposed to start in less than two weeks. Um, like, I, I'm just curious to see, like, what type of product we're going to be seeing on the court. Um, if Is that going to resemble any of, like, the things that we're used to seeing from in the NBA game, or is it going to kind of take these players a little bit of time because of all the stuff that's happened? Um, And like, it just seems like there's a lot of like moving pieces, especially with, you know, take for my, take, for example, my New York or my, I was going to say my New Jersey, but my Brooklyn Nets, like they have a bunch of guys missing and they're like, basically starting with a new team um, in yeah. terms of like RIP. Well, RIP isn't probably the best thing to say in, in this environment, but uh, RIP to Michael Beasley's short lived tenure as a, as a New York, I was, um, as a Brooklyn, you fucked me yeah. up with that too. As a I Brooklyn know. net. So, um, but hello yeah. to the Jamal Crawford era. Yep, Jamal Crawford. I'm excited about that. I was definitely excited about um, Lefty Mello possibly joining us, but it was honestly one of those things that, like, how are these play- like teams gonna play? Like at this point, like as a as a Nets fan, I'd rather them sure. just drop out. But like, yeah, well, I have I have a couple a couple thoughts on that. Not to cut you off. But I just wanted to say, because I know we're moving beyond the operational level, but what kind of happened with the Nets mixed with what happened with the Wizards mixed with what's also happening with the Kings, who have had a lot of players test positive, kind of did show, like, although luckily nothing has happened in the bubble, like with having multiple people there, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The practical things didn't, don't, knock on wood seem to have been such an issue so far, but you could make the argument that the combination of those three teams has shown that like bringing 20 teams already was probably not necessary. Right. Would you agree with that? Although obviously the Nets were a playoff team and we're probably coming anyway. We have the most like early pre restart attrition seems to have has been with those teams at at the lower end of the of the spectrum which kind of makes sense right like mm-hmm. uh those teams just have less invested in in doing well you know what i mean and are more likely to just uh i and it's some bad but you know bradley beal isn't playing uh davis bertans isn't playing and, and uh trio i think of of or it is yeah well i guess i'm the Kyrie, whatever but uh the couple net the nets dismantling as it were kind i mean of, it was it's dinwiddie yeah DeAndre jordan's not playing tory hey i can tell playing. you my least favorite blazers season um one of my actually that's not true but one of my least favorite stretches of blazer basketball uh that i've ever watched came when they signed Jamal Crawford and tried to have him run the point. So I'm oh not, wow, that's I'm not. Beautiful. I don't know if it, that bodes well for for your Nets, unfortunately. I, I can't wait to watch um, <laughs> watch a Jamal Crawford, uh, Jared Allen pick and roll. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be quite a scene. So it's 
Yeah, and and I think that's kind of like obviously we kind of look at my nets on on one side of the spectrum in terms of um, a lot of their guys being taken out um, because of the coronavirus and like obviously um, like a lot and maybe the wizard situation is a little bit different because of precautions from a more personal level of like whether or not they want to sacrifice injuries and, mm-hmm. and the looming free agency and how that ends up playing playing into the deci- uh, decision making of players. I mean, we kind of saw from like Victor Oladipo, who's yeah. one of these bigger stars that has kind of waffled on whether or not he's playing or he's not playing. It's like a well, a you called it. You called it kind of interesting because I just assumed like, okay, I guess he's just further along in his rehab than he thought. And you said, does it have something to do with money? And without getting too bogged down, I don't think it would be that interesting to the casual listener. Um, I don't know if it was Lower Nate Duncan, who I was listening to talk about it, but um, it definitely seems as if his return might actually be financially motivated from yeah. the sense that apparently the league was maybe saying like, it's okay to have guys sit out and for the team to decide to still pay them. Like it's a guy to sit out, not be excused, but just decide to sit out on his own and still get paid. And maybe that's actually not true. And the league was, is saying like, Oh, you can't pay Victor Oladipo if he doesn't play. And like, it's kind of interesting. I don't, but whatever that, that is an interesting situation for sure and it does seem like he is going to play but um yeah sorry to cut you off there but I just thought you were pretty prescient there in in sniffing out something money related yeah and I I just think like a lot of these situations and we still have 12 I think 12 days before the restart um actually happens um there's Still True to think. this podcast fashion, like there's going to be a massive breakout within the bubble. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. Like, morning we're going to just like have something massive happen that we can't really foresee or predict. But that's how we'll know we're that's how we'll know we're really back. You know what I mean? Yeah. If our exactly. podcast becomes irrelevant a day exactly. after posting it, I know exactly. That's exactly how how we know we're back to some to some type of normal in this alternate reality um but yeah it's um honestly one of those things that i'm just i i'm pretty excited to see the product on the court um and what it actually looks like um like a lot of these like clips that i've been watching have been like teasing a lot of these practice clips of you know when zion was on the uh, was in the bubble still like all his dunks that he was, you know, making and um, like just casual 360 dunks, like they were nothing. Um, like we're, we're seeing like a lot of like social media stuff uh, yeah. really like push the attention, like Myers Leonard, you know, shotgunning beers and doing TikTok challenges of like, you know, like very like different beer type of challenges, which have been kind of fascinating to watch. Um, it's, and, and like, I don't know, one of my, like, one of the like things that have been really funny for me has been like the Tobias Harris, Boban and, um, what's it called? Uh, Luca, like 
relationship and like how Mm -hmm. how Tobias is jealous of that. So it's just kind of funny to see some of like these social media things play out within the bubble. Um, And I don't know that they've kept me fairly interested. No, no, for sure. For sure. And I, I think there's only maybe you could argue that that cut those kind of antics are at a high now and that when games actually start, it'll become more about the play. But it is kind of interesting. It's like kind of a combo of like your average and almost like it reminds you of like when the when the uh, NBA players go to the Olympics or whatever. And right, there are right. always these funny stories of like their camaraderie and stuff. And I think there was a Yahoo article written implicate uh, pondering the implications of of this experience on future free agency um, because the 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 heat dynasty was sort of formed with like the Olympics were kind of a starting point for that and wondering like, could this bubble kind of in this time when like player relationships are kind of necessarily deepened and stuff like that, could, could we see our, our next super team, whatever that is, arise out of the bubble, but we're getting kind of sidetracked. Oh, that's, a, that's actually a pretty fascinating idea. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty interesting take. But uh, I thought I had kind of thoughts on the on the social media practice clips. I will say one thing. I mean, it's purely speculative on like what I've seen also. But one thing I will say is that kind of like if you're going to make the argument that the product will be good, um, will still be good. Uh, or the argument that like the, re- the time off hasn't hurt players that much, that in this kind of like more fitness oriented era it'll work out like you saw players like zion and and my blazers beloved carmelo anthony come back like in but seemingly better shape which is mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting um as 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 a blazer fan um seeing clips of of zach collins and yusuf nurkic going at it has has been pretty pretty fun but i wanted to kind of ask you a question because Watching, I'm watching, like I said, been desperate for sports, watching the Premier League and also watching a couple, not a lot, but a little bit of the MLS's tournament, their restart tournament has kind of got me thinking. I wanted to ask you, though, did you notice what how long do you think it took the Premier League to get back up to speed or has it? um, I would say, yes, so since it's been back. My point is, like, did you notice a difference in the quality of play, or would you say the quality of play is materially different now, a month into it, than it was prior to the shutdown? I thought maybe it's a little bit more wide open, and the players are a little bit less conditioned, maybe, but um, I don't know, maybe that's wrong. And the point I was making, I definitely thought that was true in the MLS. The MLS games have been, like, really high-scoring. Um, yeah. And I wonder if there's an argument to be made that if we do see, and I think by the playoffs, things will largely go back to normal, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see similar to kind of an, I mean, similar to in the early season, probably more turnovers um, and stuff like that. But if you see a higher pace of play and maybe, maybe more scoring than you would see in the late regular season um, would, would kind of be the things I would, gander as as possibly changing um or affecting the quality of basketball on the court but i don't think it'll be like materially worse uh, it just might be a little different at first i think you bring up like some really interesting points like when and i'm trying to think back to like 
about a month ago when the Premier League was back. And I did kind of notice, like, maybe it was because there were, you know, concrete rule changes in the Premier League, like having, um, like, a water break 20 minutes in. And, and more having, subs, right? Having five subs instead of yeah. the, the normal three subs. And that maybe changing the game as a, as a whole and being complete and, and not being completely different, but it definitely does change the strategy of things. Um, obviously, Liverpool, who's my, my team in the English Premier League, ended up wrapping up the title fairly early on. So there wasn't, I I don't think there was that maybe vigor in terms of like intensity and of like a title chase that Mm -hmm. ended up happening, but there's a a lot of other things to play for, um, like qualifying for European um, competition for next year that um, a couple teams are in the midst of right now. And, like largely some of those teams like Manchester United kind of like started off hot coming back from the restart. Um, And I'm, what I'm curious about is um, which I think you kind of alluded to a little bit is this idea of pace of play and whoever's, and I think this is going to illuminate like whoever's stayed in shape throughout the, this like, coronavirus um shutdown um and whether or not uh nba coaches decide strategically like if they know their players are in fairly decent condition Mm. decide to push the pace a lot more yeah um and i i haven't looked up the numbers at this at all in terms of um pace of play numbers with like who's who you know who's really good in terms of pushing the pace and being efficient in that um but i would imagine some of those teams would um be fairly good coming back earlier on um during this time period in and and like the eight games like before the playoffs start it's it's gonna be this delicate balance of like especially if you're towards the bottom and fighting for this playoff spot, like they have to go at 110% right away. But if you are one of, I would say those top and, and maybe the West is a little different because it's maybe not so set in stone, but I know in the Eastern conference, it's going to be pretty tough to make movement within, um, within the conference itself. So it seems like the eight games is going to be more of a training slash early. It's like a training camp, like scrimmage type of vibe that I might foresee happening. Um, possibly like the dog days of like February basketball happening and then really ramp it up starting like playoff time. That's well, how what- I would invest. Yeah, no, I I largely agree with you. It's funny when you mentioned the pace thing, a a team immediately jumped to mind and I Googled it and and confirmed that it was right. The Milwaukee Bucks are are kind of a team that play in that way and uh, looking it up confirmed they lead the league in pace. But that that does dovetail with what you, you were talking about in terms of what do certain teams have to play for. Um, and it will be interesting because coaches are going to have to balance, right? You want to get your 
your team to to play off. Like if you're like the Bucks, for example, who have locked up the number one seed in the East, you 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 um you want to be going into a good form going into the playoffs, but simultaneous simultaneously you have an interest in maybe managing the load of your players a little bit more, as opposed to say my Portland Trailblazers who should be going balls to the wall at all times because they need uh, not a miracle, but something close to it to make the playoffs. Right. So, you know, that could be different, but I, I think these teams, you know what I, I in, in today's, not to, this makes me maybe sound like a little bit of an old person, but in the post load management era of the NBA, I kind of see everything balancing itself out. You know what I mean? Like I, I think coaches already are able to weigh those uh, ways. Now, to, for a guy like Zion, like Zion is the one guy I actually think of as a legitimate question mark as to like how do the Propels balance their playoff push with any potential kind of bringing him back into the fold. Would have been a thing if he wasn't leaving the bubble, but especially with that um, will will be interesting. But um, there is some interesting stuff to keep an eye on in the East. Um, in the East, uh, basically four through six is is subject to some change. Uh, the those teams being the Heat, the Pacers, the Sixers. The Sixers are currently in six, and that is um, an interesting for the right reason of arguably you could argue, arguably you could argue, Jesus. <laughs> um, you could argue that the Pacers should stay in six because you're then you have to play the Celtics in the first round, but then you would play presumably the Raptors as opposed to the Bucks. So the, anyway, there there is some malleability there. And then in the West, I'm looking at the standings. Yeah, five and six and seven again. And then obviously that kind of race for the eight, nine play in game seed will be, will be something to keep an eye on. But um, I do agree with you. Uh, it will be interesting. And also, I don't know. Maybe it, I'm I'm just naive for saying this could be different in in football, uh, English football that is, uh, versus or European football versus soccer. I mean versus basketball. Um, the kind of scrimmage quality, how that's impacted by the lack of fans, will will be kind of fascinating. I think actually though, when you think about it, soccer and and basketball are kind of similar in that way where it's relatively free flowing and the competition doesn't need necessarily the outside mechanism from the fans, but it'll be interesting to, um, to see how they, how, how that works, how that factors into things as well. And as a corollary to that, watching a little bit of premier league, you know, I'm what, I don't know if it's been said yet, whether the NBA is going to pump in crowd noise into the broadcast or not, but I think it works it worked way better than I thought it did in, in the premier league games. Now I think soccer crowds are more conducive to the kind of pumped in fan noise. And once again, maybe I am naive here because soccer there's chanting and shit going on the entire time. You know what I mean? It's more constant. Whereas basketball, it's more ebbing and flowing and situation dependent. Obviously there's, situations in in soccer if someone scores people cheer if someone gets fouled people make a noise you know etc etc um but uh yeah that was just a little corollary i wanted to make on the on the crowd thing as as a purely aesthetic observation that i'm interested to see obviously as well 
I think that was one of the things that kind of caught my eye because I think originally going into it, I was like kind of excited not to have crowd noise so we could hear what players were saying or what mm. like the coaches were yelling yeah. at the players. But a lot of it when I did watch it without noise was kind of uh, boring. It boring, but. Und- indiscernible. I don't even know if that's a sure. Word, I mean, at but the like, end of the day, most anyone who's played sports knows that it's mostly just barking out commands and stuff like. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to hear a lot. You think you're going to be hearing like interesting trash talk or whatever, but it's really just mostly people calling out defensive assignments and shit. Right. 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 Yeah. So. I think where this can play like a very interesting role is that in comparison to um, English uh, soccer and um, the bubble is the decided home field nature aspect of everything. Because Mm -hmm. like during, you know, during the English Premier League, all these teams were traveling to different, different stadiums and playing legitimate home and away games. And when we're, in the bubble, it's a decidedly neutral venue, and I'm curious to see if there's like going to be crowd noise pumped in for the home team. Yes, yeah. Um, even like, like um, not to cut you off, but like, yeah, yeah, even like the sound cues and like the graphics packages and stuff like that at home. You know what I mean? In a close game, if you're uh. At X at TD Garden or whatever, maybe they play in the air tonight by Phil Collins at a certain spot. Right, right. Whereas exactly. Staples Center, they do this at a certain spot. You know what I mean? It, it'll be kind of interesting to see how they play that. And we've actually gotten way more of a we've God once again horrible turn of phrasing. I was about to say way more of a lack, but we've haven't heard very much about kind of the game operations or the TV experience. Uh, yet I'm pretty sure I do know that um, games are going to be called remotely, at least for local providers, as opposed to on site, um, that they'll be just calling it from a studio back in wherever. Uh, but we haven't really heard that much about the logistics of all this stuff yet, which is kind of interesting. Right. And I so I kind of just like did a quick Google search just to see whether or not there's been any like announcements from the NBA officially. It doesn't seem like there's an official announcement per se, but Rick Carlisle was being interviewed by, I think some of the beat reporters, um, the Dallas beat reporters. And it says that um, from a tweet from Paolo Ugetti that Rick Carlisle says there's going to be like virtual fans, digital boards and home team sounds for games for like the home team. So, so I think that that'll be fascinating to see, like, does that even like have an effect on like a free throw shooter or like what type of um, um, freedom are some of these sound operating people going to be able to have to to make a decided difference within a game because i mean fans do have somewhat of an impact on on a game no matter you know players could say they're so in the zone and they don't notice fans but i mean it's it clearly does sway games however significant 
um, it is, it does make some type of impact. So I, I think it's a fascinating, like, what's going to happen, like, in a pressure moment, like, during a NBA playoff game, when it's game seven, does that have a and, and that kind of goes back to a lot of the stuff that we're, ta- we're touching upon um, in our first podcast, I believe. I remember kind of like bringing some of that up and, and yeah. whether or not like yeah. the lack of fans is going to be any difference. But with some of the confirmation and some of the details that are set in place, like how much freedom is given to these to these game op game day operators and what is gonna what's gonna be okay and what's not gonna be okay in terms of like pumping in the crowd's noise yeah it, w- it will be fascinating to see that and also kind of an interesting thing uh maybe more so in in basketball than any other sport this is it's something that just came to me now the kind of lack of like home cooking in terms of like basketball can be so repping dependent sometimes and kind of have the lack of a crowd or the lack of of home court advantage affects that will be fascinating to see as well can i just say one thing on virtual fans is horrible like any implementation of virtual (laughs) fans i've seen thus far in in sports be it like the nfl draft um i don't know if they've done it that much in the premier league but the mls was when i was watching it the other night was doing this thing where like basically they were so there's, I don't know if you saw any of this, but there's like basically a field, they're on a field in Orlando or whatever. And then yep, they I have like blue screen around it where they put up the ads and stuff. That's cool. But then on like where the scoreboard would be, they kind of have virtual fans or whatever. But the thing about virtual fans, it's just so much different. Not even like the fact of obviously it's different, but like the difference I'm trying to make the point of is like, the person sitting in front of their computer and how they're reacting to their game or even sitting in front of their TV and how they're reacting to the game versus like a crowd, especially because you can't have a virtual entire crowd. You can only put up like eight windows of like Joe Blow at home. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. Like if you were to like the, like if you were to, I was going to be a virtual fan for the Trailblazers, right? And like, okay, so I set up, I'm, I average, mostly on average, I, I watch home games on my computer and, and I'm laying down on, on, on my bed. And so you would see me and my, my double chin because I'm laying down. I would have like a scowl and a not pleasant impression on my face. I mostly wouldn't be reacting pot. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. mostly just me getting mad at things. Like obviously if something incredible happens, like I'll get excited, but like probably not until like the fourth quarter or something like that. Maybe a couple things, but like it would be largely negative. You know what I mean? It would just suck. Like that, that virtual virtual fans suck. So that's my that's my comedic rant on virtual fans. My, yes, my, it's kind of like take that a little further. Like, I wonder like how hard it would be to like not check your phone while yeah, being exactly. A virtual that's fan. another thing. I'm like, looking you know at my mean? phone half the time too. You're you're absolutely right. Like um, during breaks and during like you know like when the ref calls a foul, you're just like, all right, also, what's on Twitter? And I like, noticed like. Am I allowed? Would I be allowed to like openly drink a beer or something on the or or can you not do that? Because let's do that. I instead let's this could solve the this could solve the um 
the the audio problem as well. I think you should get two fans from each side, like, and they're doing commentary on the game, but they're also like pretty hammered, and we just have that. Like, that's a better. That's the a better thing of the. I want the the drunk fan who's who thinks everything is a foul when it's actually not. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, who, who, who's getting the names of his own players wrong? Like, that's that's the true react, reflection of the NBA fan experience that we need. I feel like we stumbled onto something, Andrew. Virtual drinking game based off of the based off of what's happening in the game. Isn't Ooh. that isn't that? I think we've just stumbled into something. Okay, we might have to workshop that a little bit more. Yeah, I I like it. We might have to write into Adam Silver to see whether or not he's going (laughs) to green light this this amazing idea from happening. But, like, you know, can you imagine just like, all right, let's bet, like, whether or not – it's like basically virtual betting, but the amount of shots that someone's going to be having to take of vodka. Like, it would just be incredible. And then yeah. you can you can get your advertising and branding depending on like if they're sponsored by you know Ciroc or something like that. Oh, so this is like an I get what you're saying. This is like a kind of play along at home thing that's being integrated into the broadcast. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Could, yeah. Could that... I can't as future board willing lawyers. I cannot see any problems with the NBA advocating people to to get blackouts drunk during their games. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, d- please don't hold us liable if this ever <laughs> happens. So, um, yeah, yeah, we do not condone any of the things that we've done. No, that, but uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah, so it's honestly, I mean, there's just, like, a lot of, like, really fascinating, like, scenarios that can kind of happen um, with the crowd noise and all that type of stuff and what type of, you know, like, I and the English Premier League, um, like, fan virtual fan thing wasn't any better but i thought it was a it was just like a funny concept that you just had like a bunch of fans basically telling them all right it's the red light now go crazy like yeah I, it, it was just kind of hilarious to me um but you, you know. do make a valid point about like in the premier league it was kind of cool to see those empty stadiums covered in like whatever banners that the team right, is right. going to put exactly. up or whatever. Whereas mm-hmm. in the NBA, you're really, I guess the only version of that is kind of the sound cues and like game off stuff. So um, yeah, it it yeah. will be interesting. Yeah. I just kind of want some of the game day operations people to go a little crazy and wild and be a little creative with some of the things that they end up putting out there. So uh Basically, surprise me and Andrew. See what what they can do to surprise us um, with the game day operations. Um, before we close out the podcast, one of the things that I did kind of want to talk about is, like, I did mention my Nets. Um, yeah. I did want to talk to you about your Trailblazers because they're going to be I, – I don't know how you feel about them, and we're inching closer and closer to the restart. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about like how you possibly feel about, and I don't know if you've been following um, like all the things that it, that are happening with the Blazers, but do you feel positive kind of going into the restart with Collins and Nurkic back um, and like Ariza's um, pulled out of this thing? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I forgot. They, they, they kind of made the whole, 
the like the a big deal of Carmelo slimming down basically or not slimming down but redistributing his weight um to different parts of his body during quarantine and has has looked very uh felt and kind of um getting into his small forward body how do you feel about this Portland uh Trailblazers team and like what does this like does this like bring about any excitement of possibly chasing down the eighth seed? Well, it is kind of funny that you bring that up because it's making me think more broadly about how I've been thinking about this stuff in general. And I have been, you know, like I've been trying to get, I mean, you'll notice this conversation has been more high level than like, you know, Ooh, I'm excited to see how, you know, Ooh, it's going to be crucial to see how, uh, the I God I blew this so much, but okay. <laughs> we need to see how the Philly offense plays out, and so, you know what I mean. It's been yeah, yeah. all on stuff like that as opposed to high level stuff. And I, I found that like my thinking about the Blazers has been kind reverted back to this very high level nature. Also, like I haven't really been thinking super hard about what I think the Blazers' chances are, as much as being like I'm excited for the Blazers to play again. You know what I mean? Especially mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, the funny thing, and I, I, we talked about this during our kind of like how will the how will teams look and operate at the restart. It's kind of a fascinating question for the Blazers as much as any other team, because sure you can be like. Ooh, Nurkins, Nurkic and Collins are coming back. They're going to be dangerous. But like, wh- what do you do? Like the first game in the of the restart will be Yusuf Nurkic's first game NBA game and over a year and a year in the God. When did he fucking break his leg? Probably a year and three months or something yeah. longer because of the 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 fact that the 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 season was suspended. Probably closer to like a year and six months almost. So it's not like they're going to come back and play him that I don't, how many minutes are they even going to play him? So, so I don't really know, like, I'm not willing to, to use that as a, as a pin of like their chances of success. Honestly, though, I think they do have a decent chance of making it into the play in game or more than maybe like 538 or someone would project them based on the schedule for the reasons of kind of the Pelicans being a little bit more of a question mark than they were before. And just, I really do trust that Damian Lillard's going to come in and if anyone is and just be all business and will thrive in that do or die situation as much as anyone else will. You know what I mean? I fully anticipate him to come in and kind of be playing at a really, really high level, obviously with only eight games or really remaining in the regular in the seeding portion you your margin for error is very slim and you know the idea of like if he comes in and is cold for three or whoever cj mccollum who had a very very slow start to the regular season and seems to kind of take time to warm up if he's needs to warm up again you know mellow who knows what you're getting from from him the lack of Trevor Reese is going to be a bummer reintegrating those people. You know what I mean? Like I, it's hard to kind of 
get a full grasp on it. So I'm choosing to kind of go in more with the like basic childlike excitement of my favorite team gets to play and these new piece and these pieces get to be reintegrated and whatever good thing may come may come. I don't think I'm going to be especially devastated if they if they don't make it to the playoffs. Um, while simultaneously, I think if they made it to the play-in game, it'd be a pleasant surprise. Now, flipping back to you, I wanted to ask you kind of two questions um, as we're kind of at winding down here. I wanted to ask one: Are you ex- given all this stuff? Do you, are you particularly excited to watch the Nets and? Also, how are you feeling, like, what do you anticipate, like, when this season was kind of winding down or whatever, we were kind of in, at, at, we're not, we're, we're basketball fans and NBA fans, but we're by no means basketball pod, professional basketball podcasters who are watching League Pass every day, you know, we're watching our teams a couple times a week and we're watching some national games. Do you anticipate yourself being more into the restart given both the nature of the world and the nature, the unique nature of the league, or do you feel as if uh, you're happy to have it back, but uh, you're not necessarily going to be glued to the TV every, because there are going to be games on every, every day. It's going to be almost like an NCAA tournament vibe with the amount of games. So how do you anticipate, how do you anticipate the NBA kind of fitting into your, to your life uh, for the next couple months, especially given the next situation. I think that's an interesting question just from like, how would, how am I going to consume the NBA? Um, for me, first question to address whether or not I'm excited to watch the Nets. That's, it's definitely not the uh, childlike excitement that <laughs> you have um, anticipating watching the, the Blazers. I mean, the, the lineup is very um, lacking in in a lot of different areas. Like when when guys like Torian Prince and DeAndre Jordan aren't playing, and Spencer, like when those three guys aren't yeah. playing, it's gonna be a tough slog to uh, get through the next eight games. And um, you know, it's it's going to be pretty bad. It seems like the Nets are going to probably slide out of the eighth or the oh, seventh. Oh, so you seed. think they will slide? Oh, out of the seven, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they'll be battling it, battling with uh, the Wizards. Um, do, you I, think I, the Wizards believe, do you think they'll get to a play-in game? I think it's going Even to get to a play-in as bad game. as the Wizards are, going to be I, probably as well? Yeah, I think it's possible that it, it can be a play-in game, um, okay. get to that scenario. Um, but, yeah, I mean – as a whole, so moving on to the second question, as a whole, I'm very excited for the NBA to be back. Um, I And maybe that answer surprises people, but I'm just in general excited to have some semblance of the NBA back. Um, and my excitement watching the Premier League what has been sky high just because um, the Premier League, in terms of games being on, it, the game there's been games on pretty much yeah. every single day. Yeah. Um, of the Premier of of this like restart of the Premier League season, and I've pretty much tried to tune in or at least have it on in the background. Um, 
wild like throughout my day just like seeing what's happening um, yeah. just because I'm so excited to have some type of live sports back and I think that's kind of how it's going to be it's going to be like a nice treat uh watching NBA games at night um after I'm done studying for the bar exam you know yeah. what I mean it's like yeah it's like all right I can now relax and now watch some live NBA games and that is that's what I'm definitely looking forward to and I like and I think that what makes it compelling is that there's only these eight games left and the 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 intent like I watching like the the Pelicans try to make a playoff push is going to be fascinating to me whether or not the Blazers like um are, are going to be that team that might be in that playing game as well like those I think those games can be really intriguing throughout you know for the next those first eight games uh before getting into the playoffs and that's going to be one of those things that I'm really excited to see um, happen. And like, I was going to kind of comment on like, just, just in terms of like, one, like what I'm curious to see is like, whether or not there's like any like marked type of improvement made from like a young guy, like Simons yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. That or like, be... Gary, or like Gary Trent Jr. Because like, if you think about the the amount of time that these teams have been off, it's probably close to an NBA off season in terms of like, like they're not getting a normal off season after this season yeah. is over. This so is, no, you're right. It was the off season in right. some, in some, uh, in to some capacity. And you could argue that it's almost better than an off season because knowing you were coming back, you have more of an impetus to really try stay and sharp. Yeah. stay sharp and improve in whatever way. I think there's a piece just to, just to not like I really am buying it or whatever, but with the Blazers local media, I think there's a piece on this year little coming out and talking about um, how he's gotten up all these three point shots and how he's improved as a shooter over the, over the hiatus. And why I think that's interesting is not necessarily because I believe it, but because that's kind of the classic piece you would read from local media about a young guy after an off season. So I think Mm -hmm. that really, I think you do make a really, really good point there. Uh, I hadn't thought about it, but you saying that kind of helped piece that together in my mind a little bit. And, and I think that that's a, possibility and I think like you said with the Premier League and Man U it'll be interesting to see if there is that one team that kind of comes out and looks different and especially in the NBA where things aren't that super wide open but they're but they're somewhat wide open especially I would say like in the West um you know it'll be interesting to see if 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 the, any of that uh, what what that possible improvement might be? Yeah, and I I think that I, that's what I'm looking out for. Like, who's that surprise team that comes out really hot and maybe carries that into the playoffs and carries that like possibly to a title? I think that could be one of the really compelling storylines. Like, whether or not like a team like the Nuggets just comes out of nowhere and you're just like, all right, this is a real deal. 
And I even like Milwaukee, I don't know if people really believe in Milwaukee, like 110%, because they, a lot of people viewed them as like, just a regular season team. And yeah. like, they need to still prove themselves in the playoffs. But, you know, a team like that, like really comes out and performs and how that carries over, not to get you too excited. And I guess like to close out the podcast, um, not to get you too excited, but I was listening to this uh, podcast, uh, Simmons and Chris Haynes, uh, Chris Haynes podcast. Um, and Chris Haynes was a former beat reporter of the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, he's very tight with Dame and CJ also. Right. Yeah. He made a very bold prediction closing out that Simmons podcast that I don't know if you you would like no. to hear. No, I've been, uh, I've been so out on Simmons over the – we could do another podcast about about Bill Simmons. Uh, right. But that, no, all but I, uh, all I what he said. That, so, Haynes – so, Simmons was like, so what's, like, one thing that you're looking forward to? Pretty much, like, what we're doing right yeah. now. And Haynes goes, watch out for them trailblazers. I wouldn't be surprised if they make it to the playing game get get the eighth seed and then take LA the, to the like to game seven and win game seven and if they get past that say hello to the finals oh my god give me a fucking break that's so <laughs> I mean that's if the Blazers get to a game seven in the first round of the NBA playoffs I will stream it on Twitch like I'll stream me watching Andrew, the game on track. I, I might but, have to, and you I, know how much I would like. I wouldn't want like I don't even want to watch Blazer games with other people or whatever. But I will do that if that happens. Andrew, I might have to come over so that and like we can socially distance and I'll watch even the do, game yeah, together. I will even that I will even happens. do. I would never want to watch a game seven with Blazer game seven with like one of my friends or whatever we can we will do both of that uh, you will cut co- you can come over and we'll stream it we'll find some way to live stream it just if the, that happens the nervous energy in the room and just for a team that oh like, an ex- oh my i no, it I would be i mean i watched uh the blazers nuggets game seven in a sports book in Las Vegas last year, as crazy as that now seems on so many levels. Um, and like, I was like definitely the ins- most insane person in that room <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, there so, was a lot of like muttering to myself, a lot of like weird facial expressions, like a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff. So, so uh, maybe, you know, that's something to look forward to, but um, to, to jump off, off, just to echo what you were saying, I agree. I'm I'm really excited to have the NBA back on multiple levels. Um, in from that sense of like, I think you raised a great point that like the condensed nature of everything, even though it's not necessarily a, like every game matters because there are just less of them. I think you're more likely to like on an average Tuesday be like, okay, the Bucks are playing the Lakers on TNT or whatever, but like. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't really. I'll be able to watch them another time or something, as opposed to this, where it's like, you know, our lives are still, although they're more, we're hanging out with our friends and stuff more than we were before, probably, and and doing some normal stuff. You're more likely to kind of want that little bit of 
entertainment at the end of the day, I think, or at least I have been. And, you know, because of the condensed nature of it, it has a little bit more of uh, these eight games will feel kind of playoff just in the sense of their their importance to the to the league schedule on the whole. Um, so, so I think that'll be cool. Uh, and, and, uh, for the Nets, for you, man, we're just pumping up that Levert trade stock, baby. Yeah. Levert and I, Jared Allen pick and rolls, get that trade stock up. I mean, if it's for Bradley Beal, maybe that's for the best. So I, I, I mean, that's all I have to really say. And if I don't the Nets remember. get, if the Nets get into the playoff <sighs> game, uh, into the playing game, can we just have like, the Kevin Wu misery live stream or something like that. I mean, I might have to set up a Twitch and that's possible. <laughs> that possibly might happen as I, you know, curse the television screen and hope for possibly us to tank so that we get a lottery pick. As um, it's like Justin yeah. Anderson or whoever. Uh, did, did they just, sign him? Like bricking uh, a three. They're that, down like 17 yeah. to the Wizards or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's not going to be. A, a fun time at all so um yeah all i have to say is uh be on the lookout for that inevitable uh um reaction in terms of us having uh uh individual twitch streams and we're going to be reacting to games and things like that so that's probably down the pipeline um in this uh crazy crazy nba season so uh andrew thanks again for coming on to the pod uh still really excited to uh you know, really anticipating all these games happening. So hopefully they're able to stay on track and we're able to uh, hopefully consume some games in our very near future. So Andrew, um, hoping to catch a Blazers game with you in about a month's worth of time. So thanks again. Sounds good, man. Thanks. You wanna dance, girl? Just give me two drinks and I'll be busting out the best moves you're ever gonna see, girl. Watch me, nay, nay.